0: Well, good morning. As Josh has already said, today marks the first Sunday of Advent. And so counting today, there are only four Sundays before Christmas, which is kind of crazy to think about. It's coming on us so quickly. Uh, It'll be here before we know it. And so this morning, we are gonna start uh, our sermon series through Advent. And we're gonna begin by talking about a promise needed. And Josh already mentioned that we desperately need this. And so over the next four weeks, what we're going to look at is this morning, a promise needed, next week, a promise made, the week after that, a promise anticipated, and the final Sunday before Christmas will be the promise kept. And so today, as we talk about promise needed, I want you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Numbers it's at the beginning of your Bible. Maybe it's one that you do not uh, uh, go to frequently, uh, but it is a good book. It is the fourth book of the Bible: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and we are going to be in chapter fourteen. In my family, in particular, we love Christmas time. We, uh, growing up, my family was, was big on Christmas, and so as soon as Thanksgiving was over instant shift into Christmas mode, right? The Christmas lights are going up. The Christmas music is on. The decorations are coming out. And so my family has always been that that way as well. Samantha's family was like that growing up. And so as we have been together for almost 10 years now, uh, that's the way it's been for us. The Friday after Thanksgiving is is legitimately the first day of Christmas season. Uh, And this year, because I was quarantined, part of uh, most of the month of November, uh, Christmas decorations got out even earlier this year. And so we had nowhere to go, nowhere to be. And so we decorated even sooner this year than we typically do. Uh, but this, just this last Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, we, uh, we got lights up on the house. We got the tree. We got the lights on the tree yesterday. We got the ornaments on the tree. We've got everything. Right, if you look at our house from the outside, you can tell that we are ready for Christmas. And if you step inside, you can tell that we are ready for Christmas. We've got Christmas music playing all of the all of the above. We love Christmas. And as much as we love the season of Christmas, and I know that many of you are probably the same, we love the lights and the music and the decorations and the cookies and all of those things what's important for us as Christians, but also as a church, is that we cannot allow ourselves to get too distracted by all of those things to neglect the real reason that we need Christmas. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, is that we need a promise from God, a promise that makes Christmas what it is. So, uh, before we jump straight into to numbers, because it's not a book that many people are, are familiar with, I want to give you just a little bit of background of the book, what's happening, uh, and where we're going to pick up in the history of Israel. So, Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible. It's part of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. It's written by Moses, and what it tells is the story of God choosing Israel and Israel becoming captives in in uh, slaves in Egypt, God rescuing them from Egypt and their travels through the wilderness until they finally come into the promised land. And so the first five books of the Bible are telling that story and numbers in general, it picks up numbers chapter one begins about a month after Exodus ends. Okay? So there's not a big time gap between when Exodus is over and Numbers begins. There's a book between them, Leviticus, which is a lot of laws that God gave the people of Israel. Uh but time frame-wise, it's very closely connected to Exodus. Um the Israelites have been free from slavery in Egypt for about a year at this point, uh when Numbers begins, and God is preparing them to enter the promised land. So if you look at the first 10 chapters of the book of Numbers, it's God preparing them. And what you'll see and what you'll read is that God is giving them laws about how their camp needs to be pure. And so uh, we read some crazy things about if anyone has sicknesses or leprosy, all of those things, they need to be cast outside of the camp. And the reason is because God is dwelling in the camp in the tabernacle amongst the people. And so there cannot be uncleanness where God dwells. And so that's the reason for these laws. And there's also specific laws about the purity within a marriage. And there are specific laws that they have to follow if there's unfaithfulness in marriage. And God explains all of that. So all of that is happening as God is preparing them for the promised land. God is, prepared, God is giving them priests Uh, The people who are going to intercede on God uh, before God for the people, God is preparing them in that way. And God is also preparing them for what it means to live in the midst of a holy God. God is going to dwell in the camp with them in the tabernacle. His presence is going to be there. And so before God just takes these people straight out of slavery and puts them in the promised land, he's preparing them for life in the promised land. And then in chapter 10 is when they set out, okay? So they're in the wilderness at Sinai and they set out towards the promised land in chapter 10. And it's at that point where things start to disintegrate quickly. In chapter 11, we see that they're complaining because of their misfortunes. They're complaining because of the food. In chapter 12, we see that Aaron and Miriam are complaining against Moses because of his wife, because she's a Cushite. And so there's a lot of complaining going on. And then we get to chapter 13, And chapter 13 of the book of Numbers seems like the pinnacle of of the book. Because what happens is they're right there at the brink of the promised land. And they're they're literally able to look in. And so they take 12 spies, one from each tribe in Egypt, uh, in Israel, sorry. And they send these 12 spies into the promised land to spy it out and to bring back a report. And so it seems like, hey, they're about to go into the promised land. And if you're reading your Bible for the first time, you're like this far in and you're like, why is there this much left? They're about to go in and it's all gonna be a happy ending. Well, they bring back a bad report. 10 out of the 12 spies bring back a bad report and they say, the people in the land are too strong. We're not gonna be able to go in and we're not gonna be able to take it. It's just bad news. We can't do it. And so that leads us to where we're gonna pick up this morning, Numbers chapter 14. Follow along with me as I read. Then all of the congregation raised a loud cry. And the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now we're gonna continue and look at more, but, but before we do, I wanna, wanna make my first point. And that is that we, as well as the Israelites, we are grumblers. We are complainers. right? You see, now if we look back at, at verse 32 of chapter 13, This is a summary of of the report from the spies. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. So that's a summary of the bad report that was brought to the Israelites. And so because the bad report was brought to the Israelites, the people are responding by wailing all night and then grumbling and complaining. Now you've gotta remember that the Israelites have been through a lot up to this point, okay? Again, I told you that we're about a year removed from when they had been freed from slavery in Egypt. But even over the past year, and even longer, if you go back to when they were still in slavery, they'd been through a whole lot. And they had complained a whole lot. You don't need to turn to all these passages, but I'll just give you a quick summary. In Exodus chapter 14, this is right after they come out of Egypt. And they're, they're there at the, at the Red Sea. And so from one side, they're, they're seeing the Red Sea. They look back on the other side and they see Pharaoh and his army coming. Pharaoh had changed his mind. And so they start crying and complaining. And they're saying, Moses, did you seriously just bring us out here in the wilderness because there wasn't enough graves in Egypt? They're thinking, why did you just bring us out here to die? What, what have you done? They're complaining to Moses. They think that they're just going to die right there, uh, but God delivers them. And they go through the, the Red Sea on dry ground. You fast forward to chapter 16. They, they don't have food. Oh, well, sorry, they do have food. They have the manna that God is providing, but they're complaining about it. They're tired of it. They've been eating the same thing over and over again. And so what they say to Moses is, man, we had good food back in Egypt. We had the leeks and the onions and the quail and all of this great food. Man, we're, we're dying out here. This is the worst ever. They're complaining again. You fast forward to chapter 17. They're in a new place and there's no water. And so they're saying to to Moses again, did you bring us out here to kill us? We're all gonna die because there's no water to drink. And God miraculously provides water through the rock you fast forward to Numbers 11, what I just kind of told you about. They, they set out from Sinai, and of course, as they're traveling, they have misfortunes, right? Chapter 11 doesn't give us specifics on what it is that their misfortunes are, but they're complaining about their misfortunes. Some things are going wrong. They don't have all the, the comforts that they want, and so they complain. And then again, a little later in chapter 11, again, they're complaining about the food. They're remembering how good it was in Egypt and how bad it is now. And then you've got in chapter 12, Aaron and Miriam complaining against Moses and about his wife. And God strikes Miriam with leprosy and has to be cast out of the camp for seven days before she comes back in. And then we come here in chapter 14 and they're grumbling and they're complaining again. You see, this is not just an isolated event. This is happening over and over and over again. And one of the things that they say here should be stunning. Look at verse three and four. They say, sorry, back up to a little bit in verse two. Would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in the wilderness. They would rather die in Egypt or die in the wilderness than go into the promised land. But then in verse three, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Now, God had promised to give them the promised land. He didn't say exactly when, but he had promised to give it to them. And they say, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? They were slaves in Egypt. They were lorded over ruthlessly, By the Egyptians. And here they are, just one year removed, and they're saying, Man, I'd rather rather go back and be a slave than maybe die by trying to take the promised land. Then they say, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. See, these people would rather desire to return to slavery than to potentially be harmed or, or to die by taking the promised land the land that God had promised to give them. That is crazy. You see, but these people are so focused on the negative. They're so focused on what's wrong that they're not thinking clearly about what God has promised is true. And what that's leading them to do is to grumble and to complain. See, and it's easy for us to read the Old Testament and to look at the Israelites and to point fingers and say, what is wrong with those people? How can they be so clouded in their judgment that they'd rather go back and be a slave than to go and and to take the land that God had promised to give them? You see, we read that today in 2020 and we think, man, these people are ridiculous. See, but I don't think we're that different. We complain about different things, but we're really not that different. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us that there's nothing new under the sun. We may think that they sound ridiculous, but we're not looking at ourselves from the same perspective. See, we give ourselves a whole lot more grace than we like to give other people, especially people thousands of years removed from us, because we see the whole story as it unfolds. And we have the benefit of knowing more than what they knew at the time. And so we look at it and we think, these are the dumbest people I've ever read about. When in reality, we're really not that different. And 2020 is a perfect year to preach this sermon because we don't really have to look back that far to see how much we complain. 2020 has, without a doubt, been a difficult year. And I don't wanna make light of that in any way. It's been hard on so many people in so many different ways. But if you really look back and reflect on 2020... And I'm thinking about my own life. I'm not thinking about you all in particular, anyone in particular. I'm thinking about myself. As I look back and reflect on 2020, I see how much I have complained. And I jotted down just a couple of things. Complained about the lockdowns. I didn't want to be locked down. None of you all wanted to be locked down. Nobody wanted to be told that we can't go from our house and go do this or that or the other thing. We've complained about being locked down, we've complained about masks. Boy, oh boy, have we complained about masks. We're being told to wear a mask. Well, I don't want to. It's infringing on my rights. Well, well, I don't care about that. You should care about other people, blah, blah, blah. We have complained so much about wearing a mask. The restrictions, right? What we can and cannot do, how late businesses are allowed to be open and not open or, or what sports are allowed to play and not play and, and how long they have to you know, quarantine for this or that or the other thing. Or the election, or rather the re- results of the election. And these are just big things that came to my mind in like within a minute. There are so many things that we complain about on a regular basis. So many things. You see, I don't think we're that different from the Israelites. You see, they're experiencing their situation as they're looking at the promised land. They're thinking, we'll get to go in now. It's gonna be easy. There's not gonna be any more hardship. We've, all, we've already dealt with all that hardship. So we're just gonna go in and everything's gonna be happy and joyful and, and life is just gonna be so much better. And then they get a bad report from the spies. And the spies say, nah, those people are a little too big. Their cities are a little too fortified. It's not gonna go well for us if we try and take it. And what they do is they take that negative report and they let it control their thoughts, control their minds. And they grumble and they complain. See, one of the problems or one of the reasons that we need a promise at Christmas is because we're just like the Israelites. We are grumblers, we are complainers, we're never satisfied with what we have. We always long for more, we always long for better and we voice those opinions as well. But there's a reason, or rather, before I say that, there have been positives that have come from 2020. And I know that the positives probably pale in comparison to the negatives, but there have been positives. And this reminded me of, uh, there's a, a documentary style movie that was made probably back in the 90s about the Navy SEAL, uh, what, it, what, it, what it takes to become a Navy SEAL. And so there's this one guy in it that he's super positive about everything. And if you know anything about uh, what, it, what it takes to be a Navy SEAL, you have to go to a certain training and it's six months long. And one of the weeks is called Hell Week. And you sleep seriously, like not at all throughout the entire week. And they just run you ragged And they're trying to test your mental toughness, your physical toughness, all the above. And so there's one part in this little documentary where they're asking this guy like, hey man, Hell Week's coming up. What do you think about it? And he's like, well, you know what? To be honest, the worst part about being here at Bud's is uh, the wake up. You know, it's terrible. They wake you up so early. They throw water on you and it's tough. And so honestly, the best part about Hell Week is I don't have to worry about waking up for the next week because I'll just already be awake. It's great. You know, I mean, it makes it easier on me. I might get a little tired, but you know what? I don't have to wake up. I don't have to have water thrown on me, right? And so everybody watching the documentary is like, this guy has lost his, his mind. He's off his rocker. But what he's doing is he's seeing the positive in the midst of so much negative. Because it's so easy to focus on all the negative in that situation and not even think that. I don't think maybe a single person in here would think, oh man, it's great because I don't have to be woken up with water thrown on me. Right? There have been positives in 2020. And for one, uh, I know a lot of people are working from home a lot more. I know this doesn't apply to everybody, but it pl- applies to some. And what that means is you don't have any more commute time. You don't have to uh, you know, get up extra early to get dressed and get ready and all of those things. And so for me and, and for a lot of other people, that's afforded a whole lot more family time. I now get to have three meals a day with my entire family because I work from home. I get breakfast with, with my wife and my kids, lunch with my wife and my kids, dinner with my wife and my kids. There's no more commuting. I don't have to be gone before they're even awake in the morning. There are positives, right? Thinking specifically about our church. You see, if you've been here at our church over these last few months, you've seen that we've had people joining the church. We've had people getting saved. We've had people in the Baptistry getting baptized. That is encouraging we can focus on that more than we can focus on the negative but often we don't we were worried at the very beginning about finances you know we planned in 2019 our budget was what our budget was going to be for 2020 we had no idea a pandemic was coming and so when it did come we weren't sure how it was all going to work out but god has been faithful we are above budget god has provided even in the midst of dire circumstances we think about lots of babies have been born over this year uh, within our church and, and perhaps family members, people that you know and love. And those are reasons to celebrate. You know, we, we snuck Jack in right before the pandemic hit and then he wanted to be a part of it. And so he, he had to go and have emergency surgery right at the height when it, when it was all happening. And so we had to take him to the hospital and that was crazy, but, but we made it. And so many other babies have been born throughout this year, reasons to celebrate, reasons to be excited. Dare to care has been thriving, serving so many families, giving out so much food. You see, if we really stop and think about it, there are a lot of positive things to think about, but our our minds so quickly go to the negative. Our hearts are so bent towards thinking about the negatives and fixating on those things that it leads us to be complainers and grumblers, which leads us to my second point is, why are we that way? Why do we so fixate on the negative, which leads us to grumble and complain? Look with me at verses uh, chapter 14, verses five and following. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we have passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting and to all the people of Israel. So now, as a result of the people grumbling and complaining, Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, the ones who are believing God, who are believing that we can take the land, they're trying to intercede for the people and trying to calm them down. And how do the people respond? Let's stone them see, here's why they're being so negative. Here's why they're focusing on the negative, because they're listening more to the words of men than to the words of God. That's my second point. They are listening more to the words of men than they are to the words of God. You see, the Israelites are fixated on the bad report that they received from the 10 spies. And they have played it over and over again in their minds. And what they're probably thinking is, well, what's gonna happen now? If we're not gonna go in and take the land because we can't conquer the people that already live there, then the only other logical conclusion is that we just sit here in the wilderness and we all die. You see, they're so fixated on what they've heard from their fellow man, they're forgetting the promise that they've heard from God. And that is what Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb are trying to remind them of. Listen to what they say again. The land which we pass through to spy it out is exceedingly good. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us. See, they know that God is able to do anything he desires. They are remembering that God brought them through the Red Sea on dry ground. They are remembering that God closed up that same opening in the Red Sea to kill and destroy the Egyptian army. They are remembering all the different things that God has done for them because they are listening to what God has said. They're remembering the promises of God. He says, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. But do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. See, that sounds like somebody who's been reading their Bible. Now, obviously they don't have the Bible at this point. Moses is writing it. But those are people that are fixated on what God has said. They are listening to the promises of God, not the negative realities that the man are sharing with them. And I think that's our main problem. I think this is why the Israelites are such grumblers and complainers because they're seeing their current circumstance and they're not seeing it through the lens of God. They are allowing the way they they feel, their thoughts, feelings, and emotions to determine how they act. And their thoughts, feelings, and emotions are being fed by what everyone else around them is having to say. And because of that, They're not believing what God has said. Who or what you listen to is shaping you, whether you realize it or not. Who or what you listen to is shaping you, whether you realize it or not. So if we were to look at just this last week, from last Sunday to right now, and if we were to try and add up the amount of time that you spent watching TV, watching Netflix, cruising the web, maybe doing some some Black Friday shopping, uh, scrolling on social media. And if we were to add up all of that and, and, and kind of put it on a scale over here, and then we were to add up all the time that you spent reading your Bible, listening to a sermon, being in a Sunday school class, how would the scale balance? See, I think for many of us, we are listening far more to one another than we are to God. And when that happens, it's shaping what we believe. It's shaping what, how we see reality. And so because we're listening so much to, to other negative people, naturally our, our response is that we become negative people. We start to see all the negative in things rather than to see the positive we start to forget all the promises that God has made to us because we're so fixated and focused on all the negative. I have, I've heard so many people that that's literally say things like, well, if Biden has, wins this election, that's it. We're socialist. we're, we're communists, it's, it's the end, we're never gonna have any freedom again. It's over. I've heard people say that. And then on the other side I've heard people say well if Trump doesn't win the election then democracy's over it's it's you know it's just going to be the worst thing ever How do you come to those conclusions if you're reading your Bible, you're going to come across Revelation chapter 1 that tells us that Jesus is the ruler of kings on earth. And so you're going to be reminded like, well, if Biden's in the White House or if Trump's in the White House, Jesus is the ruler of kings on earth. And so he's going to do whatever he, he wants despite who's in the White House. Or you're going to read in the Proverbs that the king is like a stream of water in the Lord's hands. He moves it wherever he wishes. And so you're going to think, well, if Biden's in the White House or if Trump's in the White House, it does not matter. God is going to move them however he wants. And so it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of reality as we know it. You see, but we are so fixated on listening to Fox news or CNN or, or what's on social media that it, it clouds our judgment. And we think that that is reality. When in all reality, we should be coming to the Bible and letting it shape what we think, letting it shape how we see the world. And this is the problem with the Israelites. And this is the problem with you and me. We listen so much to all the negative talk around us that we're ignoring what God has said. The Israelites are doing the same thing. And because of that, they're fixating on that negative that they're hearing from their fellow man. And because of it, they're, they're grumbling and they're complaining about everything. And unfortunately, we're not that different. Why do we need the Bible to shape us? Why do we need to come to the scriptures to be taught? Because look what happens when we don't. Look at verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? See, here's the problem it's not just that we complain, and it's not just that we listen to man more than God. But it's by doing these things, we despise God himself. That's not my term. I didn't make that up. God said that to Moses. How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? You see, this is our problem. See, the the grumbling and the complaining, that's just the symptom, right? That's what we see as the symptom of the real problem oftentimes the reason we go to the doctor is because we have symptoms. We don't know what the root cause is, but we have symptoms and we know that's a reason we need to get checked out. The Israelites are grumblers and complainers. They're listening more to men than they are to God. Those are symptoms that there's a greater problem. And the greater problem is that they despise the Lord. Now I know up to this point, this message probably does not seem very Christmassy. But I promise you it is. Because the promise of Christmas is that you will call his name Jesus. For he will forgive his people of their sins. Do you see that we have a problem? Do you see that the Israelites have a problem? God doesn't just say I'm tired of the complaining. He says you're despising me. That's strong language. If God were to show up today and say, Why are you despising me? I think all of us would be taken aback. What have I done to despise you? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I've already mentioned some. They've seen the 10 plagues, the way that God uh, delivered them from Egypt. They've seen God open up the Red Sea and allow them to walk through and then close the Red Sea to, on the Egyptian army. They've seen God miraculously provide the manna that they're feeding from in the wilderness. They've seen uh, Moses strike a rock and water came out and he provided water for them. They've seen God be in the midst of them and lead them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They have seen God get angry when they complained. In chapter 11 specifically, he brings fire and consumes the outside of the camp. God is serious about his glory. God is serious about our hearts toward him. And what God diagnoses the Israelites with is a case of despising him. And unfortunately, ever since Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve sinned and they, they ate the fruit that they were not supposed to eat, every single human being who's ever lived on the face of the earth is diagnosed with the same problem. We are all God despisers. At our very core, in our very being, we hate God. We rebel against him so much because we do not want him to be the Lord of our lives. We want to be the Lord of our own lives. And because of that, we despise God. Look at what he says he's gonna do, verse 12. I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them and I will make of you a, greater and, a nation greater and mightier than they. Now, if you've read the book of Exodus, you know this is not the first time God said that to Moses. This is the second time that God said, I'm going to destroy them and I'm going to remake a nation from you. And I think all of us in our pride would be like, awesome, I get to be the patriarch. But Moses doesn't think that. Look at Moses' response. But Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it. For you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land they have heard of you. O Lord, They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people for you, O Lord, are seen face to face and your cloud stands over them and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give them. To, uh, that he swore to give to them that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now, please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until Now, notice what's really awesome about Moses' response. Moses does not say, hey, come on, we're not guilty of that bad of a sin that you should destroy us. He doesn't say that. You know what he appeals to? God's glory. Moses says, well, hold up, God. But if you do that, if you destroy the whole nation and start over with me, then all the other nations that have heard of you and seen the things that you've already done, they're gonna think, man, that's not much of a God if he couldn't even bring his own people that he said he was gonna bring into the promised land into the promised land. He says, God, this is gonna reflect negatively on you. This is gonna make you look bad. And then he quotes what God says to him back to God. This is from Exodus chapter 34, starting in verse six. And Moses says, and now, this is verse 17, please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised saying. So here's where he quotes back to God, what God said to him. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but who will by no means clear the guilty awesome passage in in Exodus chapter 34. Awesome that Moses quotes it right here. You see, the problem with the Israelites is that they are despising God. They're not believing him. And God says, because of that, what they deserve is to be destroyed. See, and that's what you and I deserve. We deserve... To be destroyed by God. We are guilty as sinners. Our hearts despise him. And the rightful thing that we deserve because of that is judgment. But Moses pleads with God. And and Moses says, God, would you please treat us according to your own character? It's basically what he says. Because when we come to the end of of verse 12, the question that we've got to ask ourselves is what hope do we have? Because God seems dead set on uh, striking these people with pestilence and disinheriting them and starting over with Moses. And so for you and for me, as we talk about a promise needed, we've got to ask ourselves, man, if the reality of our hearts is that we despise God, what hope do we have? And I'm not going to spoil too much of next week's sermon about promise made, but I'm not just going to leave you here. Moses quotes back to God what God had said about himself. And notice, notice notice what God said about himself. He's slow to anger. Now, if you think back, the Israelites have complained a whole lot and God has not struck them down yet. He's brought some judgment in certain ways, but he's not as a nation struck all of them down as they rightly deserve. God says he's slow to anger. God also says he's abounding in steadfast love. God loves, not just for a short time, God loves forever. His love is steadfast. It does not come to an end. He forgives iniquity and transgression. Well, that's good news right there because as we just kind of established, all of us are guilty of iniquity and transgression. We, as God says, despise him, don't believe him. But then he also says he will not clear guilty. So there's a dichotomy here. How can God forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin, but not clear the guilty? You see, even all the way back in the book of Numbers, we've got hints of the promise of Christmas. Look down at verse 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but... Truly, as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. None of these men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have yet put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. Do you notice what he said? As surely or as truly as I live and as truly as all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. You see, that is a reality. That is going to happen. And God, in his character, pardons the people of Israel according to his steadfast love. But we're still left with that question, how can God forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin, but not clear the guilty? Well, we have the benefit of having the entire Bible and we can flip over to the New Testament and we can read the words from Matthew chapter one. You will call his name Jesus for he will forgive his people from their sins. You see, that is fulfilled in Jesus because we know from the New Testament that those who believe in Jesus, they're forgiven. So God can say that he forgives iniquity, transgression and sin because he does it through Jesus. If you believe on Jesus, if you look to him, if you trust him that he was perfect, that he is the Son of God, that he obeyed the law perfectly, that you are required to obey, and that he was a substitute for you on the cross, and he took the wrath of God in your place, and that he died, but yet three days later he rose from the grave. If you believe that, you will be pardoned. You will be forgiven of your iniquity, transgression, and sin. But if you reject Jesus, if you say, Jesus is not for me, there are other ways, he will not clear the guilty. You see, if we try to say that we don't need Jesus and that our hearts are really not that bad and that it's ridiculous to think that we despise God, then God's response will be, well, you're going to have to pay for your sin yourself. And no one, no one can stand that and survive. You see, this awesome dichotomy is fulfilled in Jesus. It's only through Jesus that God will forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin. But to reject Jesus is to reject pardon. He will not clear the guilty. If you say you don't need Jesus, you're guilty. You believe in Jesus, pardon. You see... This year, as we celebrate Christmas, my family, we love the lights, the Christmas tree, the presents, the songs, the cookies, the lights, all of it, we love it all. And I assume many of you do as well. But more than we need all of those things, we need the promise of forgiveness of sins on Christmas. And that's what Christmas is all about. You will call his name Jesus for he will forgive his people of their sins. That's what we celebrate on Christmas morning. That is our greatest need in all of the world. More than we need to spend time with family at Christmas, more than we need to have those cookies, more than we need to get good gifts, we need to understand that Jesus was born and that his coming brings about forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. That is our greatest need. I love Christmas, and I hope that you do too. But we cannot forget, as we enjoy all the other things that come along with Christmas, that it's about Jesus. Church, let's fix our hearts on Jesus this Christmas. Let's be reminded of the reality of our own hearts. Let's not just... Ignore that or, or pass over that because we wanna think about happier, joyfuler things. Let's understand where we are. We despise God. But through Jesus, we can be pardoned. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the fact that we have received a promise knowing how bad we need one. God, we are eager to get to next week already, to get to the promise made, especially after this morning, having been focused on the fact that we need it so bad. Lord, we are lost and without hope, without you. God, we thank you for the book of Numbers, and we thank you for uh, what's been recorded for us in the scriptures about the Israelites and how they grumbled and complained and how you were dissatisfied with them and, and about to bring judgment. But Moses interceded and God, the same is true for us that we have wandered away from you. Our hearts have despised you and we deserve judgment except Jesus has interceded for us. God, may our hearts be focused on Jesus this Christmas season. May we not get too distracted by all the other things to miss Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen.